I like the further uh, we go in the book of Acts, I like to remind myself as well as all of us that what we're reading is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. He's, uh, he's gone from planet Earth, but he's certainly not forgotten. And I call your attention uh, to the first uh, verse in this wonderful historical account of the church, where Luke states the first account, which would be the gospel, according to Luke, the author, the first account, he says, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So based on that first verse, it's at least implied that Jesus continues a ministry that what we read in Luke's gospel is the beginning of that ministry. And what we read in this account is a continuation of that ministry of Christ from the right hand of the Father as he moves the church forward, as he grows the church, as the Jews as well as the Gentiles are evangelized. So while Jesus is not on the earth uh, at this time performing uh, miracles and teaching the multitudes, he has apostles who are. And then there's a body of believers that pop up in different locations that continue the ministry of Jesus. So while he's not here, he's here. And while we don't read his name in every verse as the one who's actively engaged in ministry and the teaching and the miracles and so on and so forth, that, that he is, uh, albeit behind the scenes, orchestrating, uh, strengthening, guiding, granting wisdom, and moving the church forward. And, and indeed, what he prophesied back in Matthew chapter 16 is coming to fruition, that he would build the church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. No, no matter the conflict, whether within or without, the church continues to march on and Jesus and his father in heaven receive all the glory. Well, chapter 15 is a substantial uh, chapter, to say the least, uh, in, this, uh, in this historical account. And we'll read the first 12 verses. Some men came down from Judea and began, now you might wonder how they, you know, if they're in Antioch, how they come down. Because Antioch is north of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is high. So you got to kind of come down to go north. You got to come down from Jerusalem. That's it. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. All right, what are they teaching? They're from, they're from Judea, so th this is uh, important business. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you 
cannot be saved. Well, that's it in a nutshell. That's what they're teaching. wonder how this is going to play out. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for the the account of this 
situation that rose up in the early church. We thank you for the teaching that it conveys. Uh, Father, uh, impress this once again on our hearts as we as we read and study together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, we have a, a three-point outline. We have the conflict. Then we have a, a brief conference. And then we have a conclusion. And we have the really, you know, this is taking place in Jerusalem. This is... Paul and Barnabas and Peter, this is a a strong group of apostles and elders and the church there in Judea. Let's look. Verse 1, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, interesting enough, this is uh, a, new de- a new development in the spread of the gospel because the gospel has already begun to go forth. It's being spread. It's up into the region of Galatia. It's in Asia Minor. Uh, someone said as many as uh, 350,000 miles have been covered by the gospel at this point in time. And all of a sudden, these people from Judea come to Antioch, which was what? It was where the Gentiles had received Jesus. We're talking about Antioch on the Orontes River, not Pisidian Antioch. There's two Antiochs that figure prominently in 13 and 14, uh, chapters 13 and 14 here in Acts. So these, uh, these men, these men from Judea must be highly motivated to leave Judea, to leave Jerusalem, and to go to Antioch. And some believe that they were actually, these men that is, we're actually retracing the steps of Paul and Barnabas in the towns that they had already been in and preached the gospel, trying to undo what Paul and Barnabas had accomplished with God uh, working through them. So these people here are highly motivated, and you have to wonder... You have to ask why. Why at this point would they exercise so much concern over the message of the gospel? And notice, they're not apostles. They're just some men from the church from Judea. We don't think they have any apostolic backing but they are very motivated and we think at least part of the reason is that the gospel to the gentiles is beginning to gain a lot of traction and more and more gentiles are being saved 
And in the Jewish mind, they're thinking, well, I mean, it's not like, it's like the gospel's being extended to pagan people who have no, they have no religious really background other than what their idolatry is. And in the Jewish mindset, they're thinking, are, are, are moral standards going to be relaxed? Are those standards going to disappear? Because in their minds, they're being outnumbered. More, more Gentiles now coming into the church. There's fewer of us, the Jews, Jewish Christians. What's going to become of our rich heritage? What's going to become of our moral standard? And so I think that they sense that that's slipping away. In fact, I was reviewing a couple, couple places where the Bible tells us that large numbers were being converted. And I'm looking at a, at Bible, a couple Bible pages here, and I haven't marked those verses, and I'm trying to find exactly where those are, but there were um, people, Gentiles being saved. Uh, you have the house of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, uh, that what happened there? Did they, did, did those Gentiles, when they heard Peter preach, what did they have to do before they were included in the church? Well, nothing. They listened, and the Bible says before Peter even completed his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on those people. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the issue here in Acts 15 is... Not that Gentiles are welcomed into the church, but how they're welcomed into the church. And these guys from uh, Judea, they're saying, and Luke puts it succinctly here in verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So that's what they're teaching. He says they're teaching, they began teaching the brethren. And this is, this is a, a dangerous uh, teaching. And Paul and Barnabas, right there in verse 2, we have the conflict or the dissension. Um, and when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So it's time to settle this issue that could potentially divide the church long term. Uh, If this is not resolved... Adequately, there could develop a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And that wasn't in the plan. 
And I think it's wisdom here that, uh, that came from the people that they should go to Jerusalem. They, Paul and Barnabas and some others, should go to Jerusalem to the apostles there and the elders there and talk about this issue. Therefore, they, they went, being sent on their way by the church. So the church is behind this. The church in Antioch is all, they're all about this. This is a matter of importance. This is crucial uh, to the teaching of the church. This is, uh, this is an aberrant teaching. This is something that had not been taught. And, uh, and they, are, they are saying that unless the Gentiles are circumcised and adopt the custom of Moses, that they can't be saved. So they're sent on their way. And this is, I like this part. They were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria. So the Samaritans are more, well, were considered by the Jews a lesser breed of people. And what were they doing? They were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And that's such a contrast to those brethren that came from Judea. You don't get the sense that they were full of joy. They are on a mission. They want some, <laughs> they don't want to give up Moses. And uh, so it's, they're bringing great joy to all the brethren as they go. So I, I find it really, it's just such a, wonderful atmosphere that is there on their travels, even though they're going, their destination is that they're going to be talking about the gospel and, and salvation. And what, what does it mean for somebody to be saved? How is someone saved? How is someone admitted to the church? But as they go, they're bringing great joy to all the brethren as they talk about how God is working among the Gentiles. And they eventually get to Jerusalem. There in verse 4, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. I love their perspective. This is what God is doing. This is what the Lord is about. He had been with them when they brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He had been with them at Cornelius' house. He had been with them in Pisidian Antioch. He had been with them in Iconium. God was with them and God was doing a work. Verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees. There you go. There's where the light comes on. Okay, who were these brethren? Um... They're from the sect of the Pharisees. And we know that these, uh, these guys, these Pharisees were really intent on the law. Uh, they, it's not surprising that some of them became Christian. 
because they did have a framework in their own mind as far as uh, resurrection and miracles and Messiah and all that. But here they're wanting to reassert their Judaism. And notice what they did. Some of the sect of the Pharisees. So it's interesting. They were received by the church in verse 4 when they arrived at Jerusalem. So you can imagine them being received by the church. We're glad you're here. How was the trip? Oh, we've talked. We, we were in Samaria. We were in Phoenicia. We were talking about all that God has done. And they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they were reporting to them all that God had done with them. But... There's a sect of the Pharisees there. And the Bible says who had believed. So they had believed. They had come to believe in Christ. And they stood up. And they said this. It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. All right. Well... Uh, there's a couple things going on. If, if this is true, if these, if these Pharisees were, if they were correct, it meant that what had gone on before was basically null and void because this is not what had been preached or taught. And then going forward, it has all kinds of ramifications for that. So they're saying, and they're being dogmatic. They're not asking questions. They are putting their foot down and they're saying it is necessary. This is a have to, this is a must to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. So we have the conflict there in verses 1 and 2 uh, and 3, if you will. And then 4 and following, we have the discussion, the conference taking place. Right there it is in verse 7 or verse 6. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. So they're looking into this matter. And after there had been much debate, so back and forth. Peter stood up. We ought, to, we ought to count how many times in the book of Acts Peter stands up. Seems like every time he stands up in the book of Acts, something good is going to happen. So Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now he's going to ask them a question. Now, well, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke? Now, in the Jewish mindset, the yoke was the law, the law of Moses. And that was a heavy yoke. And Peter says, uh, why, do you, why do you place upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers 
nor we have been able to bear. None of us have been able to keep it. And then the bottom line there in verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. And all the people kept silent. I can imagine that. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul's. They were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So the, the outcome, and we're going to get to the judgment of James here in verses 13 and following. But the judgment will be exactly in line with what Peter just said. That salvation is by grace through faith. It is, uh, as Paul said in the Ephesian letter in chapter 2, for we are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. And for these, uh, for these men to add or to attempt to add to what, must, what the Gentiles must do to be born again or to be brought into the church, it nullifies grace. Read the book of Galatians. Uh, there's some uh, material there that corresponds to the material here. In fact, that whole letter is written to those Gentile believers in those distant realms that had received the gospel. And he's saying, it's, it's not, we're, we're not saved by works. We're, man is not saved by circumcision or adhering to the law of Moses. We are saved by grace, the unmerited favor of God to us, the work of Christ, not our work, and it's faith. And that's it. That is the basis of our salvation. And we live in a time, in fact, I don't know, there's a time that the church existed going way back that we, we haven't had all kinds of people wanting to add to what it means to be saved. Wanting to say, you got to do this over here. You got to do that over there. You got to keep this law. Or you got to do that. No, no. No, it is by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is not of a human invention or instrumentality. It is of God's. Salvation, we'll end with this. Salvation is of the Lord. That's a wonderful Bible verse to commit to memory. I'm glad, I'm glad I did it at some point. But it's by grace through faith. And it's that grace of God. We just rejoice in him. And we don't look to ourselves, look what we've done, or look at this, no, look what law we've kept. No, we, we, we do not become children of God um, by some kind of work. We become children of God by receiving his grace, the spiritual knowledge of God, and by trusting him. And that's it. Amen. Well, it's time to go.